Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Kevin, I think we finally got this podcast just the way we want it. <laughs> we whittled it down. No Callie Kaplan, no Evan Grant, just me and David. Actually, my ultimate goal is you won't be on this show next week either, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, that's my ambition. That's my ambition, but I don't know if my work ethic would actually uh, carry yeah, through Yeah, that's true. It. Yeah, you're the Al Haig of this podcast. <laughs> you're just trying to – You're everything's okay. I'm still here. I'm in charge here. I'm in charge here. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we've had the – they have travel concerns, of course, and you and I aren't going anywhere, so yeah, that's okay. We, yeah, we, our concern is we don't travel. So. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, the boss keeps asking me, uh, all right, so if, if they ever play baseball, we can figure out whether you want to go to spring training or not. It's like, yeah. well, you know, that just goes on and on and on. So Then they were happy to let you drive to places to cover something until now the way gas has gone up, I guess. Yeah, you're losing money on that on that proposition, uh, especially with with our uh, per diem on that. Uh, our, our mileage is not great. So somebody figured out one time that to drive to Waco for her games at Baylor that we were losing money. Uh, the reporters were losing money on it. Not good, is it? I don't guess we I should think be reporters always this. lose money. I yeah. think, I well, think. some of us are losing a lot of money. I know that. Oh gosh. Or lack of business uh, sense, I think, plays into this as well. Yes, it does. All right. So the Cowboys have uh have uh, I, I guess uh, they haven't officially, but I believe they have uh, uh tagged Dalton Schultz, the tight end. Yeah. And, they informed uh, they informed his representation this morning that he will receive the franchise tag as they continue to work toward what they hope is a long term deal which will minimize the hit on the cap. And he will make what ten point eight million? Does that sound right? Yeah, about about ten point nine to to hold. But again, they they feel that they their discussions are encouraging enough to where they can say, okay, let, we think we can get a deal done here and lower the cap hit in this year, so it won't be uh, at ten point nine. But that's that's the placeholder to keep him from hitting free agency next week. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, I think this was a good thing, especially with the development of Blake Jarwin, uh, who had hip surgery, and now there's doubts about whether he can even play at all this season, and maybe yeah. even the, whether his career or is again, in jeopardy. Yeah, this career threatening. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and he has turned out to be a, a good player. I know I was looking at the Cowboys Twitter, and there were a lot of fans not happy about uh, Dalton Schultz getting any money. Apparently, calling him a check down tight end. I think they need to look around the league and see how many uh, decent tight ends there are. There's, n it's not exactly a, a big crop of uh, of guys make a contribution, and I believe that uh, that Dalton ended up what the the was he the second leading receiver on the team this season? Yeah, he was. And and if you look, um, actually, you know, at this stage, and we're we're recording this uh, early Tuesday morning, I believe there have been five players or six players in the NFL with the franchise tag. Three of them are tight ends, uh, which tells you what the market is. And, you know, this is not just a Cowboys thing. This is looking at the market. And, and there's a sense of if any of these guys got out on the open market, they're going to make above uh, what we can do with the franchise tag here. And we don't want to get into that bidding war. So um, this is it, again, there's a lot here. Let, 
Let's talk about Dalton Schultz a little bit. I, I do think the check down is valid. I, I think Dalton Schultz is a nice player, uh, and he's been productive. But was he productive because he's a mismatch at the position, or was he productive because defenses were taking away the receivers and everything else, and he was the safety valve that you went to? Now, you do place a premium on guys who actually force mismatches, and can play different spots for you. I, I get that. But I don't think you can completely dismiss a guy who's productive uh, with the opportunities he's given. And, and that is how Dallas looks at this. And so um, while I agree he is not an impact or a game-changing tight end, you look over the last two seasons, I believe he ranks fourth in the NFL uh, among tight ends in receptions and yards. And that was with uh, a season in 2020 where Dak Prescott only played five games and you had musical quarterbacks. So uh, he has shown he has been a, a, you know, a competent safety valve for a lot of guys. But this is where you get into it. He's a nice player who is getting, you know, a top five contract, basically. That, that's what the tag does. Um, and that's where you get the disconnect. And that's where you say, well, how does this play going forward financially? But I think Dallas looked at it. I think several things here. They looked at it and went, this is another indication they're going to move on from Amari Cooper. And they go, well, you know what? We can't take Cooper and Schultz away from Dak Prescott and rebuild this receiving core. We can only go with one. So even if we franchise Dalton Schultz at 10.9 and we don't reach a long-term deal with him and we re-sign Michael Gallup to a contract that's probably going to average around 10 million or so well we can keep Schultz and Michael Gallup for right around 20 million 21 million which is what Amari Cooper is going to make to be on the roster this year so in essence I think you're looking you know you're going to have to make some difficult decisions and the Cowboys said are we better off keeping Amari Cooper and letting Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz go? Or are we better served by letting Amari Cooper go, keeping Schultz and Gallup, and then rebuilding through the draft and free agency there? And it's pretty clear which determination they made. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that part of it either. I tell you, I, I you know, I, I look back at the at the old Cowboys from the early '90s, and and when Jay Novacek was uh, Troy Aikman's safety valve, and yeah. and when Jay Novacek retired, uh, the offense wasn't as good. It, it just didn't run as well, uh, and that that was a real machine that they put together in the early '90s. You know, they would just go and grind down the field. They they didn't turn the ball over. They took up a lot of time on time of possession. It was just, you know, kind of, it was like, you know, we always refer to the big red machine of the Cincinnati Reds in the seventies. Well, they, the Cowboys were the big blue machine of the early nineties. They, Mm -hmm. they were a a formidable presence. And as soon as you took that tight end away, that safety valve, they just weren't as good. They weren't as effective anymore. And that led to, you know, the the slow demise of that offense uh, over time. I think that, uh, you know, their hand was forced with Blake Jarwin. I think if if Jarwin had been healthy, then you could have let him go and you could have let Schultz go. Uh, But you you can't remove both tight ends from the equation and then say, now we got to go find us a tight end and he's going to have to be somebody who can can develop a quick rapport with Dak. All of this when you're trying to to say, we, we, we know we've already missed one big window, one part of the window here, 
on competing for the Super Bowl, and now we're going to try to start all over at tight end. I, I just think that would be a really difficult thing to do in an offense where Dak does dump it down and check it down quite sure. a bit. You know, yeah. And then, okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let's play the scenario out. I think you're right if Blake Jarwin was in place, because they had this discussion anyway in which way they were going to go, right? Because you have finite resources, and they determine how much they're going to spend on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. And clearly, this was the crux of their decision on offense, what to do with this, uh, you know, Schultz and and um and Cooper going forward, and and Cedric Wilson, who had an outstanding year at receiver as well, and Gallup, who was also a free agent. Um, you know, so yeah, I think if Blake Jarwin was in place, you could have seen a different decision. They, if you would have had a healthy Blake Jarwin, you could have said, "Well, look, we really like this guy. We paid him earlier. He's worked his way back through the injury. This is a pretty good tight end draft." And you know that we can pick up a tight end if we get him in the second round, third round, fourth round. We're fine with that. You know, Schultz was a down-the-line guy. And let's go into free agency and get a Zach Ertz or an Evan Ingram for one year. And that's going to be a cost-effective way to address this position. And you know what? We'll do that, and we'll keep Cooper this way. Uh, we'll go on without Gallup, and we'll take a receiver there, too. But they they determined um, that it, it just didn't make sense to do that. So I think you will see them take a receiver uh, fairly early uh, because they still have to play out. They still have to get Gallup signed, although that sounds encouraging. Um, and they have to – Cedric Wilson, I think, is going to command more on the open market than maybe they thought he would. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, that would. I think I think Wilson showed him a lot of things. You know, here was the thing – and look, I, I love Amari Cooper. I campaigned for the Cowboys to go get him. I thought he he immediately upgraded their receiver core at the time when they made that trade. We, we, we talked about that. Um, but uh, our old pal Tim Callishaw wrote last week that, uh, listen, the, the Cowboys should be all in like the Rams were. And, and then, of course, he pointed out that the Cowboys are $21 million over the cap and the Rams are only $13 million. So – I think, you know, you it is a tough decision you have to make here. And and for me, um, the difference is uh, Amari Cooper runs great routes. He's versatile. You can line him up in different places. But he's not an explosive player uh, anymore. And I don't know if he really ever was. He is more, to me, a possession-type receiver than he is uh, explosive. And, and Michael Gallup is that. He's the deep threat. And to me, you, you have to try to build a team – where you're you're taking advantage of guys' particular skills, and uh, if if CD Lamb is the guy that you can throw short passes to, and, and then you're you're counting on yards after catch, which is what he did in college at Oklahoma, and it's what he's done in the NFL so far, then he performs that role for you, and then uh, you know Michael Gallup is the guy that you you go deep to, and then and he's been very effective in, in that role. Yeah, and I think uh, again here is, you know. You talked about that immediate rapport that Amari Cooper and, and Dak Prescott had, and and Cooper did when they traded for him several years ago from uh, then Oakland, now Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, he revised an, an anemic passing attack immediately, and what we were talking about, we were talking about the immediate rapport he had with Dak Prescott. That wasn't evident over the second half of this last season. Um, that rapport was not there, and. You know, Amari Cooper only had two 100-yard games this past season. The opener, when he had a huge game against Tampa Bay, and his other 100-yard game was when Dak Prescott was out, and it was with Cooper Rush in Minneapolis. So, um, 
he is a very, very good receiver being paid elite money. Uh, and you look over, you know, I looked over the final 10 weeks of the regular season, and that was eight games. Amari Cooper averaged 46.2 yards. Um, Dallas can make that up going forward. Now, again, they're not going to have a player as good as Amari Cooper in there. But, you know, when they signed his contract two years ago, when he agreed to it, they set the scenario in motion. They knew they were going to make a decision between Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup at the end of the second season because all of the guaranteed money in Cooper's contract was pushed into the first two years. Uh, by releasing Cooper, they pick up $16 million in cap space, uh, and that's significant. So this was set in motion two years ago, and Cooper didn't show them anything over that period uh, in order for them to say, well, no, it makes more sense to go with him, at least to that level. And very quickly, I know we want to move on and talk about some other things, but what else happened since they set up this scenario between Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup? C.D. Lamb fell into their lap unexpectedly in the first round that year. They didn't anticipate adding a, a receiver that good into the mix for that cost-effective of a contract for what they got with him. And I will say the Cowboys did not assign C.D. Lamb the number 88, which had been worn by Drew Pearson and uh, Des Bryant for a receiver they did not believe could be their lead receiver. And so C.D. Lamb will be their lead receiver going into this season, uh, and they will add through free agency and the draft and supplement that position with him and Gallup. Yeah, I believe they will, too. And I don't really have any problem with that. I know that there are some fans that, and people upset because CD has dropped a few uh, passes and and, uh, and and he has. And he's, sure. he's got he needs to work on his concentration. You can tell he's turning his head when he's catching the ball and he's trying to make yards after catch. But they have to make him understand that the first thing you do, the most important thing you do is catch the ball. So I, I believe that will come with maturation. He's a very talented wide receiver, and I think they can make that work. Uh, and that's just going to be. Something that uh, that uh, they'll just have to uh, roll with, and uh, we'll we did, we're not going to get to talk about the defense today. We're running out of time on our Cowboys segment, but uh, uh, real quickly, David uh, is uh, between the two defensive ends, Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence, which or either are going to be back this season. Well, Randy Gregory is a free agent. Um, Demarcus Lawrence is under contract. He was approached to take a pay cut and said he would not take a pay cut, which if I were him, I would not either. Uh, so this sets up the scenario. Um, they know what he, you know, he'll be on the books this year for $19.5 million. Uh, he was the highest paid player in Cowboys history before Dak Prescott passed him this past season. Uh, so now Dallas is living with that. That is a high number, but to me, you're going to keep one or the other. It's going to be Lawrence, who's already under contract, or you're going to use you're going to cut Lawrence and use that money to help sign Randy Gregory and keep him in place. And I would argue if you've looked at what these two guys have done over their careers, if you look at the fact that both are 30, um, I don't know why you wouldn't keep Demarcus Lawrence, uh, especially since you already have him under contract. And I believe Dan Quinn is lobbying lobbying vociferously to keep. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence. So we'll see how this plays out. I think this was more, you know, if we can pick up a little bit here and there, maybe we can keep another guy on defense like a J. Ron Curse who we really liked. Um, but Lawrence isn't going to give him that latitude. 
but you know they can make the decision too okay well demarcus we'll add another year to your contract push some money down the road and get you down lower and he would certainly do that so we'll see how this plays out because the cowboys still have flexibility uh to alter his contract without taking money away from him yeah, I think that I, I agree with that. If I'm going to keep one of the two, I'm going to keep Demarcus Lawrence over Randy Gregory. They, this team has a hard enough time stopping the run as it is. He's their best run stopper at the moment, uh, and until they get add somebody in that defensive line who can stop the run, then they have to have him in there. Yeah, and I, and I think he and, and Micah Parsons in that stretch run, you really saw how good they were together and what this defense can be. But I, I think he's he's essential to keeping in there. And the other thing very quickly is, you know, that's the difference in him and Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper, you have no dead money. You're out from under it moving forward. Uh, you cut Demarcus Lawrence, who's roughly making the same thing this year on the cap. Uh, you're not out of that money because there's enough guaranteed money still in place and, and the years where this is a significant cap hit uh, going forward. So you don't – it's not the escape hatch financially that Amari Cooper is. That's right. All right. That'll do it for our Cowboys segment. We're going to move ahead now, and uh, we're going to talk about a couple of other things too. Eventually, we're going to have a little potpourri segment, in which we'll talk about baseball and Brittany Griner and uh, maybe some other issues that have come up. Uh, but right now we're going to talk about the Mavericks, uh, who have uh, been playing really well lately. They they beat the Jazz Monday night, beat them pretty handily, really. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing to watch this team play now uh, and uh, and go into this small lineup. Um, and and I thought, well, this is where they'll be really be tested against, obviously Rudy Gobert, uh, the best defensive uh, big man in the game, and. Uh, how that how will that affect Spencer Dinwiddie, whose whose game has been practically I'm just I'm just driving to the basket every time I get the ball. Uh and uh and and last night, a Monday night as we're taping this, he uh he did everything he needed to do. And, and certainly Luka Doncic did as well. Luka ended up with 16 rebounds in that game. This is probably what's gonna happen. And what and what allows you to go small is that you've got the biggest point guard in the game. Uh and a guy that's uh uh that can get a lot of rebounds and he is playing uh, much better defensively to go with everything else that they're doing now. So I guess my question for you, David is going to be, do you believe in this team yet? Can this team uh, make a dent in the playoffs? Can they, can they get past the first round? It's going to depend on the matchup, right? I mean, right now it would be Utah, which would be a, a very good series. It looks like, yeah. um, and you know, that is the problem when you're four or five, you have the toughest first round matchup. Usually, um, you know, you'd feel better if you could get into that two or three spot in, in a little bit more of a gap, but, um, you know, the way the Mavericks are playing, there's a chance they can do that, but that's, I think that's still going to be a, a pretty difficult climb for them. I, I think, uh, you're still looking at four or fives, the most likely, uh, seeding for them, which is in, in theory, at least gives them the most difficult matchup, but, but they've shown they match up well with Utah, um, especially last night's game. And, and what Dinwiddie does, um, it just shows you if you have, if you can initiate the offense from two opposite sides of the court and break it down, it completely alters the complexion of the game. And even if you have an outstanding d- defender like Gobert back there, uh, when you have someone who can break down the defense off the dribble, two players, um, it's difficult for any defense in this league or any individual defensive player to do much with that over the course of a game. And, uh, 
Dinwiddie has been a, a perfect counterpoint uh, for, for Luka Doncic, uh, you know, in the, in the brief time this trade's been put together uh, in a way that um, I, I think you have to say is a little surprising g- given the way Dinwiddie was playing this season. You know, he's not that far removed from being a very good player uh, and, and teams are going, well, that's a guy you kind of want to latch onto going forward. But when you have a player like Doncic, the key is not just the talent you put around him, it, it's the skill set you put around him, and it can be a less talented player. And uh, he just seems to be an ideal fit and really opens up this offense in a way um, that we haven't seen, but still allows them defensively uh, to match up with teams, and they're playing really well. This is They're a really fun team to watch and, and the most complete uh, Mavericks team I think we've seen in a while. Yeah, I'm just you know uh, obviously I, I'm the one that, who uh, who just ripped the trade, uh, so I'm going to have to eat a lot of crow here pretty quick. Well, uh, and it's still very early. I mean, you know, teams. Uh, I, uh, let's see what teams are doing with Dinwiddie at the end of the regular season and in the postseason after they see how the Mavericks play. Uh, well, you, you know, there are counters for for what they're doing, but uh, yeah, this is this is about as encouraging of a start as you can have, I think. Well, you know, the, of course, I was at the game uh, on Saturday, and and uh, you know the the way matchups work, and it's just so crazy in the NBA that that the Demontis Sabonis uh, most of the time was ended up trying to guard Dinwiddie, which of yeah. course he can't, and uh, and so uh, and then, but in the third quarter after uh, Dinwiddie had put up so many points, they switched Darren Fox on him, and then you know, and, and Fox pretty much stopped him. Uh, stopped the drives. He couldn't, he couldn't, uh, you know, Fox is probably the fastest player in the NBA and uh, he just stayed in front of him and he couldn't go anywhere. So that pretty much ended that. And then the Mavericks just went other directions uh, at that point. Uh, the thing that, that, that that's changed so much for them now is that, you know, uh, until they got Dinwiddie, the Mavericks were still essentially still a jump shooting team, which they've been since, I, I don't know, since the, the, the sixties, I think. You know, but that, that's the always been an issue that that's all they had to go on, you know, and and now this team has other options offensively. Uh, you know, they they can claw back into a game by by and did what he did that last week uh, by by driving to the basket. Even when they were down, uh, he just chips away at a team. And, you know, by doing that, you're also drawing fouls. You're you're going to the free throw line, which he's very good at the free throw line uh, and. When, even when he wasn't making his shots, he's still taking 10, 13, 15 free throws. Um, that's a lot. And you're, and you're also getting them in foul trouble when you do that. You're, you're just creating more problems for the opponent uh, in, in those kind of situations. And so uh, I do think um, you, they're, they're, they played so well now, and they were, they were playing well before the trade was made. Um, they're playing even better, I think, since the trade was made, which is just phenomenal that, that <clears throat> the adjustment would be so uh, quick. And I think, you know, we, we heard a lot of things about Dinwiddie and what he was like, and there were questions in, in Washington about, you know, the, the mix there. And, and the other night that question came up, you know, in the press conference afterwards. And, and you know, I, I didn't know – hardly anything about him before he got here. I mean, I just knew, you know, the peripheral stuff. Uh, he seems to be a very thoughtful guy. Uh, the, the guys on the team really seemed to like him. I thought it was interesting that that they had the, the Mavs ball on Friday night, which uh, raises money for the Mavs Foundation, and that Luca and Dinwiddie went in $80,000 
to buy a uh, uh, the the deal where you get to go to the state fair with Boban Marjanovic. <laughs> yeah, Big Bobby. He's going to have boots on, supposedly. Can you imagine that scene at the oh state fair? Uh, those guys. Big uh, Texas boots. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I can't imagine that those three guys at the state fair. Can you imagine the crowd around them? Oh, my gosh. I'll be, I'll be madness. It'd be so, a blast. Yeah, it would be a blast. So so anyway, the, but that tells you something. This guy's gone in, and, and right away he's 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 become that kind of player with his with his teammates, you know? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and Kristaps Porzingis in his first night uh, that he finally did play, he he went for twenty five in just twenty one minutes. That's the kind of stuff that he does. Uh, you know, he can he's very capable of doing that kind of thing. But you know, what's looking like, and 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 our Brad Townsend talked to Steve Kerr the other night when the Warriors were here, is that you know the seven footer is just disappearing from uh, from the NBA. You know, there are obviously some great ones. Giannis Antetokounmpo is. Is as good of a big man as there's ever been. I, I think it's hilarious. Who was it that came out the other day and said that uh, that Giannis wouldn't uh, he wouldn't have been any good at all back in the oh, yeah. uh, in the eighties? Yeah, I can't remember who that was. Third. It was somebody from the eighties, obviously, who said that. It was I Charles think Oakley I, or somebody? I think, I think probably that yeah. sounds right. I think it's just a crazy thing to say. Giannis yes, is sir. so athletic. You know, that's just that's just crazy uh, to to say that kind of thing. You know, it'd be different if you were a uh, I don't know, a, a, a Joe Klein, you know, you know, that, that, that's one thing, but that's not what Giannis is. So you're, you're going back in the John Concat, Joe Klein, uh, toy yeah, box. To, I remember that, that, that was, a, that was quite a toy box. Yeah, that was the thing, you know, David, I, I, I grew up in the, in this business covering college basketball when those kind of guys were all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, and, the, and they went on and played a long time in the NBA. And so you're just used to that. And yeah. it just, it's still difficult for me to, to look at these matchups and see all these small guys, small athletic, not when I say small, like they're 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", but very athletic guys, bigger guys than they used to be. They're, they're much stronger than they used to be. And they can just, uh, and, and you just, you, you go with this now, and it, it just seems like the NBA is evolving so fast. And I saw something interesting the other day from Bill James, you know, who's the father of, uh, of uh, analytics in baseball. And he was interviewed and he was talking about how, baseball still has not embraced analytics nearly as much as it should have. He says maybe 1%. He said the mm-hmm. reason the Tampa Bay Rays are so good is because they have uh, embraced analytics and the Dodgers have done it. He said there's a few teams. He said there are still smart teams and there are still stupid teams. And I'm trying to figure out where the Rangers come down in that spectrum. <laughs> but the point he made also was that he loved in the NBA how they've embraced analytics. He says that they the NBA has gone all in. And it's very intriguing to me to watch what they're doing here. And it is. Yeah, look, look at how the three-point shooting has changed just so dramatically from one year to the next. And compare that to other sports, how uh, it's more incremental evolvement. You know, uh, that the NBA's gone all in on this. And, and like you say, uh, wrapping this up, going back to Dinwiddie, you know what? They were a passive offense before because they were dependent they fanned out around the three-point arc, and they just had to hit those shots. Right now, they're an aggressive offense. Right, they can still do that. They can still fan out, but they're aggressive. They're attacking. Well, that also plays into your mentality on defense, which they've restructured under Jason Kidd. And so now, now you have both sides of the ball kind of feeding the same mentality, where it's more attack than it is. Okay, let's move the ball around and take what we have here, because you have one other player who can attack the basket. And what you have now is, as good as Rudy Gobert is, you can have a Dinwiddie go at the basket 
and either draw the foul. Uh, you know, the size doesn't matter as much. It's going to change some spots, but if Dinwiddie makes good decisions, he's either going to be fouled or he's going to kick the ball out to an open an open three because the defense is reacting to the penetration and the three-point shooters now have more space. So it's a this is the way the offense is envisioned to work, but it just shows you how one more entry point to balance an offense where you can attack and break down a defense on the left side and the right side uh, of the court just makes such a huge difference. Yeah, it's just crazy to watch the the, the evolution of this team from what it was last year to what, and what yeah. it had been for years to what it is Very now. Quickly. It's Very just un- quickly. Unbelievable that this could have, could have happened, and we certainly didn't see that coming. And it all stems from Luca having a player like that who has such a, a well-rounded game. He makes up everything else for you. When you got a guy who can get 16 rebounds from your point guard, that's pretty good. Exactly. Okay, uh, we're going to go move over to our point, our point, our potpourri segment. Now we got a couple of things we want to talk about. Uh, starting with the fact that uh, Brittany Griner, the former Baylor star, uh, who plays in the WNBA and also plays uh, for a, a team in Russia in the off season, was detained uh, there in Russia. Uh, she had hashish oil apparently in her luggage reportedly, uh, and she's been detained now. And so that's rises to great concerns. Worst timing, worst country for this for this to happen right yes, now. Yes, it no is. No question and, about it. And we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if she actually did have hashish oil or not. Who, who knows what was really going on here? But I will say this. Uh, it's, it's like Midnight Express. What in the world are you doing in Russia with anything that when you go through a checkpoint, somebody might find? Uh, this is, and it is, as you said, the world's worst time for this sort of thing to come up. Well, this is not just a, a woman basketball player being detained, uh, in the current geopolitical climate. Uh, she is much more than that now that this is, um, even, even if Russia had not invaded Ukraine, striking a deal to get her back to the U.S. would have been difficult given where U.S.-Russian relations were. Uh, you, you've seen this in some other cases uh, of, uh, of some U.S. citizens who, who are in Russia at the moment. But now, at this point, it's gone well beyond that. She is a, she is a bargaining chip. She is something to be tied to uh, the, the economic sanctions, uh, the, the international pressure, that is being placed on Russia and, and she's visible enough to be disproportionately uh, a player in what is evolving as an international crisis. And whenever circumstances thrust you into something like that, uh, I, boy, it's, it's difficult to know where this is going to go, but, but, but it's not good for her at all. No, it's not good for her. Not a good time. It's, uh, uh, as you said, you're referring to other citizens that are being held there. Trevor Reed of Fort Worth, his parents are there. And, and, and as we're talking today, Joe Biden, the president, is, is going to be in Fort Worth and is not supposed to be meeting with the, the Reeds. So, that, you know, it's already, as you said, already a difficult situation. Uh, and now it just makes matters even worse. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see what, how that plays out. Um, I don't feel good about that situation at all, though, at this point. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling really bad for her that, that she has gotten herself in this situation. And if it, whether it was her fault or not, uh, I, I, we're left to judge on that. We have to find out a lot of things. But it's, it is not a good situation. And how much pressure can the U.S. apply 
when you have an international crisis at the moment and you're going to focus on Brittany Griner rather than what's happening to the people of Ukraine and, and what measures you can take there. So it's just, it, it just, you know, it's an untenable situation really for her as far as resolving this anytime in the short term. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We also want to talk about, uh, and this is really switching gears. We, we move over to baseball, which is also in an interminable uh, situation <laughs> uh, with the, you know, the, the, the lockout now is over a hundred days um, and baseball is just determined to blow itself up, uh, and, and burn down the house. Uh, just a, such a, a crazy sport that these, the owners and the players can't get together, but you know, it's all goes back to Marvin Miller 50 years ago. He got over on the, uh, the owners with the union. The baseball has the, the most powerful union in sports and the baseball players know that. And they've tried to preserve that ever since. And all that means is that now that they just butt heads more than any other sport does. Uh, so <clears throat> some of the it's things like a dysfunctional been- family dynamic, right? Something that oh, happened yeah. 50 years ago is still driving behavior, uh, yeah, it rather is. than the self-interest of the moment. And, and you still just kind of get trapped in that paradigm and, and baseball seems trapped in that paradigm. They really do. Well, and it's, you know, it's, and, and baseball is just determined, uh, to, to screw itself up. Uh, you know, it is, and that has been happening now for a long time. Uh, and, and I have to say, David, you know, I, going back to my youth, I, I probably like baseball is probably my favorite sports. Uh, it certainly was to play is, you know, and my, both my boys played baseball and one of them played baseball in college, you know, and I'm sure that was partly my influence, I guess, whether I meant it to be or not. Uh, but, uh, it's just difficult to watch all this stuff happen, uh, in baseball. You know, it's just, there, there's just always something that it doesn't get right. You know, that the, the NBA does, the NFL does, you know, uh, and, and sports as they do the slow creep on them. One of the things that has come up now is the, uh, uh, the possibility that, uh, they have agreed to, or will agree to, uh, a few of the things that the owners have wanted to try to do, uh, um, among them, the, a, a pitch count clock that is going to be sped up now. Supposedly, uh, if there's nobody on base, uh, 15 seconds uh, to deliver the pitch. If there's someone on base, 19 seconds. Uh, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, that does speed up the game, I think. It will speed it up immeasurably in some cases. The games have gone over three hours now. Uh, that's a, uh, they, They've figured out that that might uh, take as much as 20 minutes off a game uh, just to do that. Uh, I've always felt like the faster you work, the, uh, the better you pitch, uh, and, and the better your, your fielders are behind you. All of that is a good thing. So I don't have any problem with that. There was also talk about that they would get rid of the shifts now, which they did in the minor leagues in, in one of the minor leagues, uh, last year it worked really well. I'm sure that Joey Gallo was doing backflips. Uh, the fact that they would get rid of shifts, I think that is good. That would be good for the game as well. If you want to move after the pitch, uh, you know, if you want to run to the outfield after the pitch is thrown, yeah, more power to you. I just think it's ridiculous in some of the things we've seen in baseball and what they and they line up and just has removed base hits from the game. It, it became the, the three true outcomes: strikeout, walk, home run. That's all we were getting out of that. That's no yeah. fun either. And, and what has every other sport done? They, they've adopted their rules to, to offense. enhance offensive production, which is entertainment, right? Yeah, um, all, all sports do that. And and you know, to me, this goes back to labor, too, and the, these rules. It's like another thing to me that baseball seems to do is like in their decision-making, 
they don't seem to acknowledge that they're no longer America's pastime that they were, that they've fallen on the pecking order of sports consumerism in the U.S., that they're not the dominant sports anymore, that they're being passed. And this goes to pace of game. It goes to entertainment value. It, you know, it goes to a lot of different things. And I just think they've been slow to react. And I think, I think a lot of baseball's problems is they just continue to uh, react like they are the dominant sport and it hasn't changed and things have changed dramatically around them and they're just slow to respond. Well, the, the, one of the issues, David, uh, and, and you're right about that, about offenses. One of the, the issues in baseball has been is that, well, our history means something to us. Yeah. We, you, you can't, you can't sure. tell, you know, no one can tell you who the, or most people can't tell you who the NBA's all-time leading scorer is. They can't tell you. And in the, in the NFL, the only record we know is that, that Emmett Smith is the all-time leading rusher. You know, we, you, everybody knows that, you know, that Barry Bonds is the all-time leading home run hitter and that Hank Aaron is second and Babe Ruth mm-hmm. is third. We, we know all those records. And so I'm all for not jeopardizing any of those things, which, of course, they allowed to happen in the 90s because of steroids. Uh, that's what jeopardized all that. Uh, but, uh, y- y- you know, there are ways to help without injuring the fabric of the game, like by getting rid of shifts. We didn't have shifts that were this pronounced until just the last 10 years. We, you'd have a shift. A guy would move over a few feet. He wasn't sure. moving over to the other side of the bag. You know, he wasn't moving into the outfield. You didn't see that kind of thing happening. So those things were radical, and they and they needed to get rid of those things. Now, one of the things they're talking about now is making the, the bases bigger which would actually obviously allow you to get to the base faster. Well, now I've got a problem with that. Uh, now you're talking about it not being 90 feet down the line. Uh, it's just like they also had a, something they tinkered with, which was moving the rubber back about, uh, I believe it was a, a, a six inches or so, maybe, maybe even a foot. I can't remember what the exact measurement was, which was ridiculous because now you're going to have to change the rubber on every single diamond in america because if kids are going to learn how to play a uh, pitch they're going to have to adjust to this if they want to eventually get there so well, we that know was- what lobbying force is behind that right that real change <laughs> yeah that's right so it's just it's just crazy some of the things that they you know that they're they, they've tried to work with you know and I, and I think david you even want to bring up that you saw something about the bunt Oh, yeah, just about uh, uh, do away with the bunt because it's boring for uh, the younger generation. So just take it out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have a big problem. If somebody wants to get rid of the bunt, I don't have a problem with that either. <laughs> but uh, but there are things that, that make sense that, to, to, to help fix baseball. And there are things that are just silly. And uh, But baseball is just is, is so stuck in its ways, uh, in some ways that, that, that is detrimental to it. In other ways, they want to embrace things that, that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. I, I, I'm just amazed at, uh, at the, at the parties involved and that, and of course there, there are, you know, we've, we've written both sides of that. The owners and the players both are at fault in all of this. Uh, and, and they should be to their shame that uh, they have allowed all this to happen. And but not the sports writers. We're above not the fray. Not the sports writers. No, no, no. We're above the fray. Uh, well, I mean, it's like, what other, what other sport do you constantly see work stoppages in? You know, you, yeah. you, you know, it's just, ba- just baseball, essentially. And, you, you know, every time you do this, it just chips away at the fans' loyalties and the fans' you know, uh, fervor for the game. You know, if you're constantly acting like, you know, if you're – it's like Lucy and, uh, and Charlie Brown. If you're going to pull the football out from under me every time I run up there to kick it, Pretty soon, I'm not going to want to go up there and kick the ball anymore, although 
Charlie Brown always does. So <laughs> I was going to anyway. say that may be a bad example. Charlie. Maybe that's us. Maybe we are Charlie Brown. <laughs> we are the yeah yeah yeah. We are Charlie Brown, and the world is Lucy. All right, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we will uh, be back next week, of course, and maybe even Callie Kaplan and uh, Evan Grant will be with us. I don't know. Evan's always on some boondoggle, and he can't get here because of that. If Callie's with us, that would be wonderful. That'd be that'd be plenty, wouldn't it? I don't I don't think we need any more than Callie. No more Evan. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell Evan you said that. He'll be he'll be heartbroken. <laughs> heartbroken. Anyway, we hope y'all have a good one. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out next time and we'll see you. Bye.